0: Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Romans with part one of this message entitled, Destined for Glory. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 19. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray, Heavenly Father, teach us the purpose of history and help us to rejoice as we learn it. The purpose of history is to bring about your salvation to your elect people, which is the greatest wonder that God performs. Greater than creation and providence Greater than the destruction of all his enemies. Greater than the new creation of heaven and earth. The greatest wonder is salvation of an elect sinner. In Jesus name, amen. Amen. So our topic here today is Saints by Grace Destined to glory. Destined to glory. What is our destiny? Glory. That's your destiny sir. Not misery. Not confusion. Not death. Not failure. Your destination is glory. We are predestinated by God. That means we will surely arrive there. Romans 9, 19 through 24. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, whom God created, very good. Man is always questioning God about the justice of his actions. Adam never confessed his sin but he blamed Eve which was in effect blaming God and Eve blamed the serpent which also was blaming God who created it so friends blame shifting is a very ancient tactic of sinful man So even today, people blame parents and pastors. Those who blame parents and pastors are wicked sinners. Who want all constraints to be removed. So that they can sin with total license. St. Paul experienced this blame-shifting phenomenon of arrogant men. Listen to some accusations of man against God in the book of Romans. Romans 3, 5, and 7. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly... That is, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Or Romans 9 verse 14, what then shall we say? He is God unjust. Or Romans 9 verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who has resisted his will? Man is not saying, have mercy upon me, a sinner he is saying god is unjust god shall not blame us since god is doing what he pleases without our permission if god is sovereign and does whatever he pleases we are not responsible for what we do so in our text of romans 9:19 9, through 24 Man, possibly a Jewish objector, as usual, blaming God. There are six questions in the Greek text of Romans 9, 19 through 24. Man asks God two questions and God shuts him up by asking him four questions so Romans 9 verse 19 has two questions man is asking God and God asked man four questions 920 two questions 921 one question 922 and 23 another question silence man God is sick and tired of your arrogant accusation. It is time modern man heard the word like that. Pampered modern man. Children talking back to parents, talking back to teachers, talking back to pastors. Where did you learn this, sir? A good question, And so if you are questioning God, God is answering you by four questions. And the intent of these four questions is to silence you. sovereignty of God and human responsibility. This is the issue, and the problem arising from this issue. Yet in this chapter, Romans 9, Paul never offers a logical solution to the tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Except at the conclusion of chapter 11, listen to what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths. Beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord. And who has been his counselor. Who has ever given to God. That God should repay him. For from him and through him and unto him. Are all things to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. If you are under authority. Don't talk back. To those who are over you. Job. May question God. All he wants. But when God questions him finally. Job must say. This. The Lord said to Job. Will the one who contends with the almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. No. Again, Job 42 One through three. Then Job replied to the Lord. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked. Who is this one. That obscures my counsel without knowledge. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. That is the right Way to behave. Those who are finite creatures before infinite God. But Job was a sinner saved by grace. But unsaved sinner never speaks of God Almighty the way Job is speaking. So, first is Man questions God and you put yourself in his condition. If you are one who is always with enmity, with animosity, talking back to God and God ordained authorities, and learn something today, man questions God. Chapter 9, verse 19. Question one Why does God blame me? Question number two Who has ever resisted God's will? See, Paul's argument of God's freedom, especially in chapter 9, verse 18, brings about these two questions from the unbelieving questioner especially the statement in 918 that God shows mercy on whom he wants to show mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden the questioner is asking if this is so where is my freedom where is my responsibility this is immoral fatalism This is nothing but determinism. God is pulling all the strings. And men are mere puppets. That's the charge. Paul deals with human responsibility in Romans 10. Man is to live by the preceptive that is revealed will of God. Revealed in creation, in conscience, and especially in the canon of the Holy Scriptures, which reveals to us Jesus Christ. The decretive or secret will of God, it is not for man to know. Man is responsible to know and do the revealed will of God. So God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That is none of your business, in other words. But the things revealed, preceptive will of God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may follow all the words of this law. That's human responsibility. Listen to the Christian philosopher, theologian Dr. Gordon Clark. Although the betrayal of Christ was foreordained from eternity as a means of effecting the atonement, it was Judas, not God, who betrayed Christ. The secondary causes in history are not eliminated. By divine causality. But rather they are made certain. And the acts of these secondary causes. Whether they be righteous acts or sinful. Are to be immediately referred to the agents. And it is these agents who are responsible. Listen to Professor John Murray. What the questioner is saying. How can God blame us when we are the victims of his irresistible decree? Listen to Professor Murray again. If God determinatively wills to harden men and put that will into effect. How can those subjected to this hardening be condemned? Are they not in that state by the will of God? Simply means God is to be blamed. We must find fault with God. Is it fair for God to hold us accountable when he hardens whoever he wills? We had learned before that God shows mercy to some sinners and He hardens other sinners. He deals with some sinners in mercy and other sinners in His justice. Paul is not arguing that God makes innocent people sinners. All Adam's children are conceived in sin. Born in sin and daily practices sin. They all suppress truth and exchange the glory of God for a lie. They all are under the just wrath of God. God therefore opposes impenitent, God-defying attitude of these sinners. Who want to make God answerable to them. Friends if you are angry. At God and his legitimate delegated authorities. Like parents and pastors. You are an enemy of God. If you are praising God. You are saved by his mercy. You are saints of God and children of the heavenly father. What characterizes you? A spirit of contention? Or a spirit of praise? Who are you to question God? Like Stephen Hawking. Who said there is no place for God. In the creation of the universe. That's what he said. Who are you? Like billions of other fools. Who are you, O oh man? God asks all those who dare to question God, listen friends, a little impotent, ignorant, peanut brained worm of a man characterized by impudence and imbecility. He's a fool. Because a fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Point number two God questions man. Four questions. Verse 20, the first part. Oh, man, who are you to talk back to God? He could have said, Oh, worm. Who are you to talk back to God? Silence. God is in his holy temple. Let all earth keep silence. God will never fail in his duty to put us where we belong. How dare you little man to question God. How dare you bring the fairness doctrine applicable to the just and holy God? Do you see the emphatic contrast between men and God in this verse? Men, do you have greater wisdom than God? Westminster shorter characters and question number four What is God? Why don't you go and memorize that before you question God? What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Infinite. Eternal unchanging mind your place you are down here God is up there God is all transcendent God is not your equal God is your creator you are his creature never forget this creator creature distinction you exist and consist in him. Think correctly. Pride goes before a fall. No man has a right to bring God to trial. But God has a right to bring you to trial and cast you to hell. What does man do? He brings first God down to his level. He then makes him a little less than himself. He makes him his inferior. Then man further reduces him. As we read in Romans 1. Let's take a look at it. Romans 1, and 23. 21-23. through 23, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became what, sir? Fools, and exchanged the glory of the Immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. That's the first reduction. Then birds and animals and reptiles. Man is an idolater. Yet he knows God and he is without excuse. Know the scripture to deal with fools to talk back to them and show their utter folly when they deny the infinite personal god and pretend to be very wise and intelligent when god calls them fools the second question The latter part of verse 20. Will the thing formed say to the former. Why did you make me thus? Sinful man. You are nothing. But a pot. Formed by the sovereign potter. You have no rights. The potter has all the rights. All men are vessels of wrath. Silence. Silence. Know that you are a clay pot. It is blasphemous for a pot to criticize the potter. As creator, potter God has absolute power over a clay pot. Potter never seeks the will of the clay, never checks with the clay. If clay can talk back to the potter, then sinful man, you can talk back to God. Sinful man cannot judge God with his sinful standard. God is not just the creator. He is also the moral governor of the universe. Silence! You God-defying rebel! All God's actions are in harmony with his holy nature. He is thrice holy God. He is always self-consistent. Pot, potter, comes from Old Testament. Isaiah 29, verse 16, You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay, Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter? He knows nothing. Isaiah forty five verse nine. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker! To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. That's the evaluation of God of. Arrogant, sinful man. pottered Among potters. Does the clay say to the porter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Isaiah 64 8, yet O Lord you are our father we are the clay, you are the porter, we are all the work of your hand. Jeremiah 18 and verse 6 Like clay in the hand of potter So are you in my hand O house of Israel You see a little humility coming upon us Yeah it is coming down And the third question It is designed for Silence It is designed to stop God questioning imbecile. The third question is, does not the porter have authority, exousia, the legal authority to make out of the same lump of clay one vessel to honor and another to shame? What's the answer? Yes. He has exousia. He has authority. He has right total absolute right so sinful man know thyself know thyself means know that you are nothing know thyself you are clay you are sinful clay God is the potter our sinful clay every sinner must know that the potter has absolute legal authority over the clay he has absolute freedom to make whatever he pleases out of the clay Vessels of glory or vessels unto destruction. He has absolute right to deal with sinners in mercy or in justice. Mr. Clay, know that God's thoughts are infinitely higher than your thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God has the intrinsic right to deal with sinners. As the potter has absolute right to deal with the clay. First Corinthians 4 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not know who you are? Dead in trespasses and sins. Sons of disobedience. Children of wrath. Directed by the devil. Now please listen to the arguments of the great Jonathan Edwards. If God should forever cast you off. It would be exactly agreeable to your treatment of God the Father. Number two, if you should forever be cast off by God, it would be agreeable to your treatment of Christ. If God should forever cast you off and destroy you, it would be agreeable to your treatment of others. If God should eternally cast you off, it would be agreeable to your own behavior toward yourself. You destroyed yourself. You are not your own. You belong to God. What did you do with your body? And with your mind? You abused it. You destroyed it. You pretended it belonged to you. And I would add, if God should eternally cast you off, it would be agreeable to your treatment of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10 verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished? Who has trampled the son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing? The blood of the covenant that sanctified him. And who has insulted the spirit of grace? That brings us to question number four. Designed to keep your mouth closed. And it is, verse 22 and 23 are difficult. It starts with an if clause, a protesis, without an apodosis, without a concluding independent clause. So we have to supply it. So you take a look at it and see what we can do. The question of God. Number four. 922 and 23 designed to shut man up. The freedom of God illustrated in God's saving and judging plan of sinners. That's what we see in these two verses. God's freedom to do whatever he wants with sinners save or judge this question of God to sinful man designed to shut him up begins with an if clause but does not end with an independent clause as expected so listen to Professor Douglas move what objection O man Can you make if it is in fact the case that God has tolerated with great patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction when you realize that his purpose in doing so has been to demonstrate his wrath, make known his power, and especially to make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory? Let me summarize it. If God chose to do this way, now the independent clause, who are you, O oh man, to question God? So let me translate 9:22 and 23. But if God, because He wished to manifest His wrath and make known His might? bore with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction doing this especially because he wished also to make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory and then we add this what right you have to question God or what are you going to do about it So, there are three purposes in these two verses. First purpose leading to second purpose, which leads to the third purpose, which is not stated but understood. So, at least understand three purposes. First, the purpose is to make known God's wrath and power to all rational beings, He is committed to it. To make known to everybody how angry God is, how opposed He is against sin and sinners. And He is determined to make it known, as He did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Number two, to make known the riches of His glory to us, His vessels of mercy. And number three, implied both purposes for the praise of his glory. In other words, God is glorified when he pours out wrath upon the wicked. And he is especially glorified when he saves some sinners. So all what God does in history has three purposes. Each purpose leads to the other. God deals with most sinners in justice. They are here called vessels of God's wrath. God deals with them like he dealt with Pharaoh to accomplish the first purpose. To make known God's wrath to all rational beings of His universe. God opposes sinners. God and sin are eternal opposites. His wrath will be outpoured upon them in due time. Friends, listen to this. He does not destroy sinners immediately, He can. Sometimes He does. But the usual procedure is what? He does not destroy sinners immediately. He puts up with them for a long time. 93 years. 87 years. He put up with them all these years. And he doesn't want to come to church. He hates God. Same as your mother and uncle and all that. Look at them. They are sitting on a pile of money and it is shrinking. One reason for this long suffering is that the elect sinners might come to repent and be saved. And that purpose is revealed to us in Romans 2 and verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Or Second Peter 3, 9 and 15. The Lord is not slow in keeping with his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Now this has to do with elect sinners, not non-elect, in the church. But everyone to come to repentance. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means what? Salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. God shows great patience with the wicked sinners also for a second reason. Tell me, what is the second reason? That you sin more and more and more. That your guilt will be greater and greater and greater. So the wrath will be greater and greater. And when it is outpoured upon the wicked, he is praised is glorified when he opposes sinners and kills them, destroys them, wipes them out so if you have been hardening I beseech you to listen to what I preached and stop arguing with God, humble yourself and ask God to pardon you and he will Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this chapter that speaks about your sovereignty, your absolute freedom to do what you want to do with lump of clay, sinful men. But we praise you and thank you that we were objects of wrath, but you showed mercy, performed the biggest miracle which angels themselves would like to know more about. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, a part one of this sermon entitled, Destined for Glory. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.